The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com.
and not many songs will, as they say, but thank you. Our God is a way maker. He made a way. He gave us the way, the truth, and the life, whose name is Jesus Christ. We know from 1 Timothy 2, our men studied this last night, thank you to Richard for leading us in that, that there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who came and gave his life for us. So thank you for that song, and I want to say special thank you to those online who are joining us. Thank you for being with us as well. Well, we are here to pray, and uh, we're here to pray for another church this morning, a fellowship of grace, Pastor Michael Porter. Uh, some in our church are, are familiar with Pastor Michael and his work. I didn't get to connect with him this week, so we're going to pray generally, but I actually went to, I actually graduated from the same high school, Plattsburgh, that their daughter did uh, many years ago and uh, had no idea during that time he was a pastor. We weren't really connected in, to their family, but over these years, it's it's been fun to watch his ministry grow and uh, their family grow as they do. But Fellowship of Grace, be praying for them as well. Also going to be praying, and I know this is national news, we, but part of the reason we pray is to pray for things in our world. Uh, in, in Atlanta, uh, several days ago, uh, there was an unfortunate incident of loss of life of many people, uh, about eight people uh, in, in, in some areas down there, and especially praying because the, the uh, proposed or perpetrated uh, uh, person behind those attacks went to a Southern Baptist church. And uh, right now, we're going to pray for the victims of those who died in those shootings. And we're also going to pray for that Southern Baptist church. Because uh, as First John will tell you, just because they were among us does not mean they were with us, so to speak. And we need to pray that uh, that church, that the gospel's clear and healing to their families as well as for the victims' families as well. I hope that makes sense. Because we need to make sure that uh, we understand that uh, not everyone who claims the name of Christ really is in Christ. And that's a tough lesson sometimes, but especially we're praying for the victims as we go through. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? It's good to see you. We'll be finishing up Nehemiah today. Uh, we can say amen to that at the end. Uh, 13 weeks in, we're here. But let's pray together as we go before our Lord. Father, as we come before you, we thank you, Lord, that you are the way maker. You're the faithful, awesome, mighty God. Lord, there's nothing that withholds your hand. There's no one who can say to you, what have you done? Lord, there's nothing impossible with you. Father, that's what you said. The, the impossible became the possible. Father, speaking of salvation, because your son gave his life and, and, and came to give it as a ransom for many. Thank you, Lord, for that truth that we know so well. And Lord, we pray for our sister church, Fellowship of Grace, Pastor Michael. We thank you for their continual outreach over these years of preaching the gospel and following up and trying to meet people where they are. They so faithfully carry that out. So Lord, we pray you bless them, keep them, encourage them, challenge them, give them wisdom in these days as they uh, make decisions, as we all are, about how to worship and how to outreach. And, and, and it looks a little different, Lord, but, but may you bless the faithfulness of their hands. Father, we are praying for the, the families of the eight victims, Lord, um, in this mass shooting down in Atlanta. And Father, we certainly could pray for shootings even locally, and there's lots of things going on. Father, but specifically this shooting, we pray. Pray we bring peace and clarity of, of your presence to the, the, the victims and their families, Lord, that if they do not know you, that by grace through your spirit, they may see clearly the gospel of Christ. We also pray for this family church that uh, they saw one of their young men who grew up there, who was baptized there just about three or four years ago in his late teens, um, com commit or, for, or, or, or at least be uh, given committal to such a crime, Lord. And Lord, we just pray. We pray first for this young man that he may truly come to know Christ. Father, that you turn him from his sin and 
Lord, that there would be a radical change. We pray for that church there, Lord, that as they seek to bring comfort to victims' families in their own church, Lord, that the gospel would be clear to them as well. Lord, that everything you've promised in the scriptures would be their strength by your spirit. Thank you so much, Lord. As we worship today, as we continue and finalize our study through Nehemiah, give us wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, as we, uh, if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, that's the very end of the book, by the way. We, it is uh, ironic in the Lord's timing. We ha- we, the first week of spring is our last week of Nehemiah. So this is kind of a turning of the page in many different ways as we come to together today. But Nehemiah chapter 13, this is story of new beginnings, uh, part uh, 12 as we go through. And so we will be reading Nehemiah 13 from verse 1 all the way through. I think it's important that we get that context. So if you're inside, if you're able, if you'd like to stand up, we'd appreciate that. If you're at home, you can do that. If you're in your car, uh, we still haven't figured that out without a moonroof, how you stand up in your car. But we'll get there one day, right? Nehemiah chapter 13, and we're just going to read it as we go through. Hear God's word this morning. On the day they read from the book of, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. And if you're an underliner, here's a great one. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. And as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, verse 4, before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah, verse 5, a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, oil, which were given to the commandment to the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. And while this was taking place, as I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king, and verse 7, came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered that evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of our God, the house of our God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and cleansed the chamber, and I brought back where the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I, Nehemiah, verse 10, also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. So I confronted the officials and said, "'Why is the house of God forsaken?' And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then, verse 12, all Judah brought the tithe, the grain, and wine, and oil to the treasuries of the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelmaiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Pedadiah of the Levites, and the assistant Hanan, the son of Zakur, and the son of Manataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. And he prays, remember me, verse 14, O my God, concerning this, and don't wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God and for the service. And in those days, I saw Judah, in Judah, people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loaves, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day when they sold the food. And Tyrrhenians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil that you're doing on the Sabbath day, profaning it? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring disaster on all the city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel and profaning the Sabbath. 
Verse 19, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors be shut and gave them orders. They should not be open until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my own servants at the gates, and no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and the sellers, verse 20, of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once more. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. I said, remember this day also in my favor, O my God, and, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Verse 23, in those days I also said, uh, saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, and Amnon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And verse 25, I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. We're not going to do that to you, by the way. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not, verse 26, Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But nevertheless, foreign women made him even to sin. Shall we then... Listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign people. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the, of the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Verse 30, thus I cleansed from everything foreign, cleansed them from everything foreign, and established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. This isn't the way it's supposed to end, is it? We'll get into that today. Let's pray together as we go before our Lord. Father, what a shock this is. Really, the last three or four weeks, somewhere in there, Lord, we have heard just the continual increase and intensification of the, the, the revival that you had done among these people. And the moment Nehemiah steps back for however long it was, maybe a few months or a year, and he comes back, everything's back and perhaps even worse than it was before. Father, we're a fickle people, even as Christians. We forget so easily, we sin so freely, and we roam so widely that, Lord, we forget how awesome you are. Father, today, remind us of your goodness. Remind us that we are not unlike these people, even in Christ, that, Lord, we need to know and follow you even in days when leaders and others aren't looking, that, Lord, your eyes behold the evil and the good. So, Lord, help us. Father, as we end this study on kind of a sour note, may your grace lift us even higher to see the greatest note that has been played, and that is death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. And that is a, the magna opus of everything that this world could ever have. Father, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, there's a story told uh, many years ago, and this is going back. This, these are pre-COVID stories, by the way. Uh, Daniel Bork wrote in a book called Second Calling um, that uh, uh, he attended a conference, and he was with his friend Bruce. And as they were about to leave, another man asked if they could join them in a car. I know, pre-COVID, you can't really do this, or you shouldn't do this in these days. And as they drove around, Bruce and his friend asked the man what, where he worked, and he said, I work for an, a Christian organization. And Bruce went on to say, ah, I know that organization. I have family there, and I actually was saved by, I, I heard the gospel through that organization, and, and, and all this stuff. And he went on to explain, Bruce, the, the storyteller, went on to explain how all his family 
came to Christ because of this one organization this man had worked for. And the passenger, the man was silent, and Bruce and his friend thought maybe they were being boring to the man. You know how it is on car rides sometimes, you get in that mode. But the stranger quietly said, you know what? I was at that first retreat, Bruce, you were at. And it was my first time as a conference leader. And I'll tell you what, I felt like a total failure after leading that conference. And until this moment, when you told that story, I've always believed it was one of the biggest failures of my life. And Dale Bork wrote, he said, what seemed like a simple act of offering a ride to a stranger turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts, whether we realize it or not. Friends, there is something to be said when you look at this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has literally spent his blood, sweat, and tears to get people to a point of spirituality, of physical safety, and he comes back and it's completely destroyed, just like that. It is a reminder to us today that being faithful is our job. It's not your job to figure out what to do. It's your job to follow where God leads you. And that is the tenor of this book. Nehemiah has been dealing with a, a, a rascally people, hasn't he? Squirrely people. They have been called over and over to repentance, but they keep going back like a dog to its vomit. And that's biblical, by the way. If you have a dog, you know that happens. Why? Why do they do that? Friend, it's a reminder to us today that even the most godly people can fall. Charles Spurgeon, at the height of his ministry, had thousands of people in Metropolitan Tabernacle Church over there in England and still there today. But when he died, the church started to dwindle. When a pastor leaves, when a leader dies, when a pastor or a Christian leader falls into sin, you really see what people are made of. Because it's in that moment that you get to see, are they following the personality, the persona, the power, the speaking ability, the, the presence of that person, or are they following the God that that person says they are trying to lead out to do? And so what you see now in Nehemiah is spiritual decay. It's coming back again. It's like that mold that goes away in the wintertime, but when your basement gets wet a little bit more, it starts to creep back up. You know what I'm talking about, if you ever had that? Or that leak. Some of you all have sump pumps in your basements. It's like that leak that happens on weeks like this last week when it just rains and rains and rains and rains. I thought we plugged that leak. Why are we back here again? So this morning, the big idea is this. Concerning sin... It's kill or be killed. You're either fighting for the war all time or you're losing it. You cannot be a Switzerland in being like Christ. And Nehemiah is going to confront these people. We saw that, didn't he? He pulled out here. That's why most of them are bald. No, I'm just kidding. But you understand, he took this very seriously. And friend, our call today is to do just that. That's why I love the Bible, because it doesn't just whitewash stories. If you go to, to Independence or Liberty or Salt Lake City and read about Joseph Smith, oh, it's like he, ne he, he walked on water like Jesus. He never did anything wrong. Oh, contrary, my friend. Or if you go talk to a Muslim about Muhammad, you will find all sorts of things that happened wrong. I love the Bible because it doesn't whitewash people. It tells real stories about real people. We don't see that in the Quran. We don't see that in the Book of Mormon. The Bible brings to light all of our sins. But it tells about a God who's bigger than our sins. Even the big guns of the faith had problems. But I want to remind you today that Nehemiah has come a long way. How do we fight spiritual decay in our churches, in our lives, and how do we stand firm even when people around us who are godly are not looking at us and it's us and God? That's what I want to look at today. First point is this. Deterioration comes in a fallen world. Deterioration, that's a big word. Decay, deterioration, whatever you want to call it, comes in a fallen world. You don't need to be reminded of that, right? We live in a world that is success 
helpful in a lot of ways, but really under the root of it, it's just decay all around. You get something working for a while, like when you go to the store and you buy a computer and it's top of the line. As soon as you step home, they announce that new computer, or you go buy a new car. My wife reminds me of this all the time. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's already lost like $10,000 worth of value, right? That's just how life is. Shouldn't surprise us then that there's a setback going on. De decay happens. Deterioration happens in a fallen world. Problems come. And it often seems like it's the same sin over and over. I mean, you've felt that way, haven't you? Lord, why am I back here again? Didn't we get this over with the last time I came on my knees? But they're here. And notice, at the very first of the chapter, it's on the day they read from the book of Moses. They went to church. They heard the Bible. They heard it read. They heard it preached. And yet all these things were going on. They had people among them, Ammonites and Moabites, who were descendants of Lot and his two daughters in the incest. You can read about that in Genesis in, in chapter 35, if I'm not mistaken, 35, 36. That's not the reason God doesn't want them among them. God didn't want these people in verses 1 and 2 among them because they had not blessed Israel when they came out. It's part of their punishment. They respond with faith. And they respond, you're supposed to respond to the word by separating themselves. That's why verse 3 says that God turned their cursing that the Moabites and Ammonites who were decayed all around to the Israelites into a blessing. Friends, I want to remind you that even in sin-filled cultures, God can still use his word. We have heard story after story in church after church this last year through COVID and all the things we've been through and are going through that God has done a mighty work. Don't think just because sin abounds that grace doesn't abound all the more. It happened, and it happened once for all at the cross of Jesus Christ. But decay is all around. And as soon as the people heard the law, they separated themselves from all those of foreign descent, verse 3. So the people are separating themselves now, but Nehemiah leaves for some period. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's six months. We really don't know. But we know verse 6 tells us that it occurs somewhere after the 32nd year of the king of Babylon. If you remember back in chapter 5, he was governor from the 25th year of the king of Babylon to the 32nd year. So somewhere in here, Nehemiah goes home, probably to report what's happening, probably to give his king an update. But verse 6, he asks for leave. And when he comes back, the people are in shambles. And it's interesting to compare how they deteriorated. If you'll hold your spot there, go back to verse 10, or chapter 10, if you will, because it was just a little while ago that they had promised to do several things. Go to chapter 10, verse 30. We're not going to read all these verbatim. I'm just going to highlight them for you. But I want to remind you what these people promised to do, what these people in Nehemiah's presence, and even more so in God's presence, had said, yeah, we're going to do this. Sign me up. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. But if you start, and you can read this later, I'm going to highlight these, starting in verse 30. They took an oath not to marry the peoples of the land. They said, we're not going to do this. Verse 31, they said that they would honor the Sabbath day. Verse 32, they said they would give generously to the worship of God and the household service of God. Verse 36, if you skip down a few verses, verse 36, they said they would give to their, their firstborn to the Lord. In other words, they would dedicate that child to the Lord. And verse 37 and following, they said they would give their tithe to the Lord. Go back to chapter 13. Yeah, oops. Jeff Jones on the front row, if you're online, you didn't hear that oops. That wasn't Jeff. Jeff didn't have an oops, but the people of Israel had an oops. 
These are the promises they made. And I'm going to break these down for us as we go through this. The first promise they made that they would not do is they said they would not intermarry with other people. They heard the word. They knew what God had commanded them. And God's concern is that they would wander from the faith. Let me be clear again. This is not as some, and I'm just going to use the word specifically, this is not as some white supremacists have said that you cannot marry someone of another race or another culture hogwash. Paul said you can marry anyone as long as they are in the Lord. Red, yellow, black, and white, who cares? What matters is, is God ordained it and has God called you to it? And most of all, are you a Christian and are they a Christian? That's it. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything to do with spiritual idolatry. Let's be clear. It's not because God wanted them to be one race, but because they were pagan nations. And Nehemiah points out to them when we heard it, he said, look, didn't Solomon do this? Didn't Solomon marry Pharaoh's daughter and so on and so forth? And this caused him to go wayward? Yet you guys are allowing your people to marry pagan women, people without the Lord. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. The second oath they broke, not only did they marry wrong people, they broke the Sabbath. They were doing work on the Sabbath. They were bringing in goods. They were buying and selling. And that, you know, that's akin to being at a funeral and playing a, a video game in front of people and thinking it's okay. You know, just think of the worst thing you could do in a context, and this is probably one of the worst things, but even more so in God's eyes. When God's worship fails, God's people fail. When we fail to worship God as he prescribes, it's going to fail. And when there's no respect for the worship of God, God is going to be forgotten. They promised, we won't do this on the Sabbath. We won't marry these people, but they did. Third thing they did, they broke the vow to give generously to God's people. Look it up at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13. It was supposed to be filled, this room. Did you notice that word there? Tobiah, we heard that name before. Tobiah is like that thing that just makes your skin crawl. Tobiah is an enemy of the people. He's the one that said, if a fox gets up on this wall, it's going to fall down. He's one of those little talking heads that makes people scared. Well, in verse 4, we're told the high priest allows him to marry into the family. Tobiah is smart. He knows if he wants to get control of Jerusalem, he has to go through the, the powerful people. So he sends, and when Nehemiah gets there, Tobiah has married two different women to gain alliances. Tobiah is politically smart. Tobiah is crafty. He's a worldly wise man. If you're in, uh, into, uh, um, oh golly, Bunyan's book. I can't even think of the name of the book right now. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. He's worldly wise man. You want to get there. But Tobiah moved in. The room that was supposed to be for the store of God's people was now Tobiah. We don't really know what it was. Did Tobiah have a false idol there? He doesn't really say. But for some reason, the high priest thought it was okay for, for someone who doesn't know the Lord to put something in the house of the Lord. To it in very stark terms, that's like if we just allowed the most grotesque fringes of society just to have a room in our church just because we wanted to be accommodating and they could participate in whatever they wanted to do in that room. Can you imagine that? And doesn't that just make you shudder? Should. And guess what? The people started stop giving under Elisha because when leaders stop leading godly, there's going to be compromise. How do you resurrect a dead church? You want to know how do you resurrect a dead church? You tell them we're going to take a missionary offering and you pass the plate and see how much money is giving. Because a church that's alive is willing to give no matter what. And God's people were looking outside of themselves now because they were starting to decay. But Christian, I want to remind you this morning, you were made for so much more. You were made for so much more to serve and to give in ways that God has given. 
And friends, this is always something to remember. If you are finding yourself in a spiritual decay, one of the greatest things you can do is get off your behind and go serve in God's name and see what God does for you. It's amazing. But they forgot about that. They married the wrong people. They broke God's worship. They allowed someone to come and take over their house of worship. And verse 10 tells us, chapter 13, verse 10, that they broke the tithe. Remember, this tithe was given to support the priest or the pastors of the day, if you will. It says the Levites had not been given to them, so the Levites went out and each worked their own fields. This happens in churches today. And guys, I just want to say this from the pulpit, especially you tired of it. You give so generously. I know I'm the full-time staff. You give generously. We don't have to do this. There's some churches where they will bring the pastor in. Oh, we're going to pay you this and pay you that and pay you this and pay you that. Pastor preaches the Bible and they stop giving. Pastor preaches something they don't like and they stop giving to the, 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 the main fund and the pastor has to go get a secondary job to stay in that church because the promise that they made to take care of his family didn't happen. It's exactly what happened here. The Levites had to go work the fields because they weren't taking care of their own, but they promised to do it. Man, decay is everywhere. You know, the only oath, here's a parallel today, the only oath that they seemingly kept was to give the firstborn back to God. How many parents in today's world take pictures at infant baptisms, child dedications, whatever else, because they know they've messed up, but they don't want to see that kid messed up, and they do everything they can to get that kid spiritually right, but really inside, they're as decayed as anything else. This culture put on a show when Nehemiah left. What does it mean? It means leaders are going to compromise, people give in, and sin takes a hold. I am always, and I've said this a lot through this, and I want to I put a note in here, but this is, this is what we are always doing as pastors here. We are preparing for the next guy to take over. A new pastor should be able to walk into Tower View Baptist Church and pick right up, within reason, getting to know you, of course, within reason, step in here and take over the preaching of the word because we've prepared you well for that. Don't plan to be anywhere. Lord knows he's calling us somewhere, and I don't believe he is right now. But God is always preparing people for the next step. I mean, think about this. They had just had revival. They had the word of God moving among them. This is how sin worked. It's sudden and it's powerful. And this is why the Old Testament people set up stones. The Ebenezer stones, you know that old song we sang, you raise your Ebenezer, you know that old song? I, Tina, I can't think of the name of it right now. Be, uh, be thou my vision, I'm forgetting it. Craig's not here, but Craig's here, but yeah, here I raise my Ebenezer. What's an Ebenezer? Is that Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas story? Wouldn't that be something? And Ebenezer was a rock that they put all the things down that God had done. Christian, I would encourage you to fight decay in your life that you sit down this last year and reflect on what God has done for you during the COVID time, how he's taken care of you, what he's done through you, how he's used you, or things you prayed for that didn't come to be that he's blessed you with. I mean, they had all these things. And, and let me speak church-wide here. This is what we do in baptism. When someone gets baptized back here, we always remind you what? Do you remember when you were baptized? It reminds us of our baptism, what God has done for you, what you've committed yourself to. When we take the Lord's Supper, we hope to do that in the next couple weeks, it reminds you what? What God has done for you, what he secured in Christ for you. And this is what worship does every week. This is why coming to worship is so important because each week we are renewing our covenant, as it were, with God. God, you gave your life for me. Lord, you saved me. God, you washed away all my sin. And Lord, I am broken. I've had a week. You know, 
I don't deserve to be here, but by grace, you called me here. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I just want to worship you. How good you are to me. Every week, that's what this time does. What a wonderful things he's done for us. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, isn't he? These people forgot that. And decay came in. Christian, I pray, and, I, and, and my wife and I need to sit down to do this. I haven't talked to her about it yet. We need to sit down and look at this past year, how God has blessed us. Church, we need to sit down as a church and, and think about what God has done for us this last year. And we don't sit there and, and say, whoa, you know, we've got to move on. We've got to do life. But thank the Lord. He's done some awesome things this last year. Amen? He's our God. But decay happened. So decay is going to happen in a fallen world. Second point is this. Perseverance is the, is the mark we need because deterioration decays all around. Perseverance is what we need. Deterioration comes, but don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Whether that is in our families, whether that is our, our, our ministries, our children, whatever it is, do not give up. Hebrews 12 reminds us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to, to the pastor? No. Looking to the music pastor? No. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Nehemiah had every reason to be upset? Oh, he did. He did. All that he comes back has been abandoned. If there's ever a man, I, I told you last week, my wife, or, my wife and I are maybe me, and she tags along I, on an amazing race kind of thing. If you ever watch that show, when they win a leg of the race, they always come up and Phil says, you've won this week from Travelocity, a trip to fill-in-the-blank vacation spot. Nehemiah needed to take about a 1,000 of those vacations during this time. He needed that Travelocity fix. But he doesn't throw in the towel. He perseveres. The decays around him. He re-engages. And Christian, you may think COVID has sucked the spiritual life out of you. You need to re-engage yourself. It ain't going away anytime soon. Don't let COVID determine your spirituality. Let your spirituality determine how you view COVID in the rest of your life. This is why we remind our young men all the time they need to stay the course to persevere. Put one foot in front of the other. Young moms, moms who are older now, there are days that you felt like you could never make it through the next hour, let alone the next minute, because there were enough fights in your house to pull out all your hair and all your kids' hair, just like Nehemiah did. But you made it to the next day, amen? Wives, you feel that way with your husbands too, I'm sure, but you understand. Verse 8, look at verse 8, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 8. He says this in no uncertain terms. He says, I was very angry. He's done this before. He was very angry. Verse 25, he said, I confronted them, cursed them, beat them, and pulled out their hair. Woo. Pastor, what in the world did he do to these people? Well, the hair probably means here, this is probably a euphemism to mean that they probably shaved their heads, which would be more shameful than pulling out their hair. Please do not conflict 21st century reading of Scripture with what happened in that context. They probably were beaten, folks. He was the governor. This is a serious offense in those days. Things happened, and he took care of business quickly. We tend to think he was like Jesus who saw people worshiping, and Jesus made a whip. There is a point of holy anger. There is 
you know, some people say there's no place for unkindness and harshness in our day, but in our day and age, I would tell you that we tolerate more than we should. I'm not, please hear me clearly, I'm not suggesting that as church discipline, whenever someone comes on the list, that we go and pull out their hair and beat them and throw them out to pasture. Not what we're saying. But I hope you see Nehemiah's heart here, at least in all of this, is that he took sin seriously. Don't get angry about what God gets angry about, somebody says. But friends, we mock and insult God because we laugh and we cry at the very things that God says are sin. There's a time when anger is allowed. Ephesians 4.30, be angry. Be angry. There's a time to be mad. And if your team lost in March Madness yesterday and you're still angry about it, get over it. Life moves on. It's not the anger we're talking about. There's an anger that comes when you love Jesus and you just know things aren't right. And he says, don't sin. So how do you persevere in these times? Let me just give you some things that Nehemiah did here. First, he identified the problem. He noted the problem. He noted each of their wanderings. And you need to know what you're up against. Is it pridefulness? Is it selfishness? What is it? What are you fighting? He had to identify the problem. He saw what the problem was. They had promised with their lips one thing and are not doing it. They, they, they talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. Then he enacts practical steps. And I'm just going to summarize here. He takes Tobias stuff like those movies when the lady gets mad at the guy, and you've seen these before, and he, they throw him out of like the fifth balcony up there, and everything lands on the street below, and the guy's kind of like, what in the world just happened here? What did I do? He cleans house. He goes in there, and he literally tears out the idols and throws them away. He didn't ask anyone permission. He didn't apologize later for if they called him out on it. He just did it. The Levites, he confronted them. He appointed treasures. The Sabbath day, he closed the gates, and he even put his own servants there. He attacked the problem practically. The wrongful marriages, they took an oath, but they will not allow their kids to do this, and he held them to the fire. Friends, sometimes we can be more spiritual than the Scriptures ourselves. Let me say that again. Sometimes we can be more spiritual than the Scriptures ourselves. There is a place for reading and praying the Scriptures. It should start there, and praying. But God has also given us a mind to act. Let me be very practical. If this phone is causing you to look at things you shouldn't look at, yeah, that's my Subway coupon, sorry. If Subway coupons are causing you to sin, throw them out, right? Amen. Go to, go to Quiznos anyway. If your phone is causing you to sin, what do you do? You get a flip phone instead where you can't look at that stuff. If you find that Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube gets you angry, then you cancel the accounts and you get off there if that's what you need to do. If you find that you spend more time with your hobby than you do with your family or your other things that you need to be doing in life, then you cut out the hobby. It isn't rocket science. Sometimes we are more spiritual than the Scripture gives us. Does that make sense? If you know it's there, you plug it up and you stop it. If you're bleeding out of your, your side, you don't just walk around and say, what's wrong with me, guys? You plug the hole. I mean, it isn't rocket science. Nehemiah knows that, and he goes, and he perseveres, and he takes care of it. But how does he do this overall? What is underneath all that? He relies on the Word of God, doesn't he? Practical stuff isn't enough. He relies on the Word of God. He goes to them. He doesn't give them his thoughts. He doesn't give them some, some pithy saying he found on social media that sounds good in the moment. He goes to them, and all the things that we read, and he brings them the Word of God. Yeah, he's being practical, but he's bringing the Word of God to bear as well. When we are facing decay around us, we bring the Word of God out, don't we? 
because God works through it and by it. So he, he, he identifies the problem. He gets practical. He brings the word. But fourthly, he, he gets the people to own it. Each of these problems required something from those people. He didn't just say, oh, that's no big deal. Don't do it again. He says, look, you did this. The consequence is this. But friends, we have a lot of churches that allow members to run amok in sinful ways that bring disdain to the name of Christ. And there's nothing ever done because we don't want to upset Joe, Joe Schmo and Susie Q. You pray for boldness for leaders like this. He doesn't teach them. He requires something from them. They could do the practical stuff. They could identify the problem. They could rely on the word, but they must own it at the end of the day. And finally, he relies upon God. Did you notice that? How many times has he prayed this prayer? You know it by now, don't you? That phrase, remember me, oh my God. It sounds narcissistic. It sounds like that uh, Luke 18, Pastor Nelson taught on this morning. The Pharisees said, I gave my tithe. Look at me. I give big money. Praise me. Luke 18, the one who did that, no. If there's going to be any change, Nehemiah always says, remember me, oh my God, I can't do it. The decay around me, I can't fight it. That's why we always pray and we ask God for the blessing over things. That's why we ask him constantly and we walk through things in prayer. God has to be the one to do it. Christian, as we close out this book, I'd like to tell you things got better, but they really didn't. Do you know what happens to the next 400 years from roughly Nehemiah's time until the, the turn of Christ? There's silence from God. You say, well, pastor, wasn't Malachi the last book written? It was. Malachi was written probably a few years into the governorship of Nehemiah. Nehemiah could be considered, if you read the right people, to be the last book written in the Old Testament. For 400 years, Ish, from about 450-ish to about 0 B.C.-ish. You like the ishes there? That's a Greek word, by the way. There's silence. Yeah, there was some churning of the guard in Jewish culture. You can read about the Maccabees. You can read about Alexander the Great coming and all the things God did. But there's silence from the throne room of God. The prophets stop speaking. The priests stop following God as they should. And then you get two groups of people coming out. Do you know who they are? The Pharisees, and they're sad, you see, the Sadducees who come out. Nehemiah is the last spark, scripturally, that we have of revival before Jesus Christ comes into the world. But Christian, I want to remind you of that. In the darkest hours of human culture, God always shines brighter. Amen. While you were yet a sinner, at just the right time, Christ died for you. At the testimony, the proper time we read last night in 1 Timothy 2. I want to tell you that things into grade and they all gathered arms together and sang kumbaya and roasted marshmallows and had hot dogs around the fire and they sang amazing grace and come just as you are and Billy Graham preached and there was a master but no, that didn't happen. Things just got worse. But God's people always persevere. Because it's not them persevering, it's God giving them the strength to persevere. Church, I'm here to tell you as we close out this book, I know I'm a few minutes over, too bad. As we close out this book, there are churches around us who are not much more better, spiritually speaking, and COVID has shown it for what it is more, who are spiritually decaying to a point they may be at a point of no return, even with the preaching of God's word. 
we pray that we stay faithful to God above all in this church, towards each other, and towards our world around us. I don't know what the future holds. I'm not the prophet or the son of one. But I can tell you that sin is either killed or be killed. It's either fight the war or lose it. There is no Switzerland response here. And the churches, the Christians, the families, the individuals who fight like Nehemiah fought are going to stand strong in days where people are okay just to lay back and say, I don't want to do this anymore. May we stand strong. May we do strong. And friends, we will be okay because God is with us. Amen. If you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, the greatest news is, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and he calls you to turn from your sin and repent and believe in him. Let's pray together as we close. Lord God, as we come before you today, we thank you for the opportunity to worship before you. Father, how, if we were writing the story, if this were a Hollywood movie, this were a, a novel Father, a Disney show, a Hallmark Channel exclusive, a Lifetime movie, whatever those feel-good kind of things come to be. Lord, we'd go through the valleys and we'd hit some low points, but we'd always end on a happy note with the great music playing and we'd hold hands and walk into the sunset and walk along the beach, as it were, and all these things. But Lord, that's not what happened here. But Father, we are so grateful that even despite the the, the broken promises of these people, you have never broken your promises to us. They are always yes and amen in Christ. They never change yesterday, today, or forever. For your son is the same. Father, you're the same. Spirit, you're the same. The God who's three in one, blessed Trinity. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we look around our culture around us, would you give courage to leaders, not to just emulate Nehemiah, Lord, but, but, but with the boldness and the love and the, the respect and the gentleness and all the things we're called to in Scripture to lead churches, to lead families, to lead lives that are different than the world, but to do so in a way that's not legalistic, that's not antinomian, to use a bigger word. Lord, just all these things. But Lord, we walk with grace and compassion and mercy. But Lord, we don't, we don't falter when things come our way. We have a backbone. Lord, help us to do these things for your glory. And Lord, if the world continues to decay, and we know that it is and will, Lord, that we persevere. For Father, you say, he who endures to the end will be saved. Yet Lord, we only endure because you endure is what you tell us in Timothy. So Lord, thank you that while we are faithless, you continually be faithful. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son. We pray all this today as we close this book in Jesus' name.